0: G'day and welcome back to another episode of ID's Digest. My name is Conrad and you may already know the devastating news that my best friend and podcast co-host Cam Ferry died. Uh, So I want to thank everybody for their support. I still have a fair few episodes I recorded with Cam that I haven't released yet. I'm honored to be able to share with you more of the great conversations that cam and i had Enjoy these episodes in memory of my best mate cam i'm right and you're wrong once you start labeling people categorizing
1: of humans and ideas you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being to who they really are and in the marketplace of ideas these things
0: are complicated man
1: we all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine
0: multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore challenging ideas, sometimes ideas that divide us, Cam. Mm, yes. Where, and we explore them where we find them, and we explore how they help us.
2: Yes. That's that's the aim, that's the goal.
0: Because whether an idea divides us, we hold it because on some level it helps us. Yeah, that's right. We're here to find... It serves us in some particular In way. some way. Yeah. You may agree or disagree, Yeah, not the point. Yeah. Hopefully we can understand the ideas and where they come from. Now, my name's Conrad. I'm Cam. And on this podcast, now this podcast and practice isn't for everyone. No. It's very uncomfortable yeah. to listen to ideas that you disagree with. Yeah. But if you are listening to the end, (laughs) that's right. Listen to the end. You can listen to it and turn it off. Yeah. Uh, But if you you are listening and you are disagreeing, then for me, that's a successful show. Yeah.
2: That's like kudos to you. If
0: you're listening and agreeing, I'm like, yeah, not bad. But if I can give you an idea that challenges you, that's what I'm hoping to do. Yes. Uh, Yes. Because I find that interesting and fun. And everyone else might find it unpleasant, (laughs) but (laughs) but that's okay. Good premise for the show. So, um, Often when we come across a new idea, we end up categorizing it. You know, we yes. either have to put it into the agree box yeah. or the disagree box.
2: Jump to some conclusions. But
0: here on this podcast, we pause it and don't do that. Mm-hmm. So we can learn more about the person and the idea. Yeah. So today we are joined by a person named Brian Zand. Now I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Brian, am I am I pronouncing that correct? You got it right. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> can can you can you tell us a little bit like about yourself just the generic like top of the top, of, top line stuff so we can kind of get a very general sense about your who you are. real
1: <laughs> um yeah i'm a pastor i've been a pastor of one church for 38 years word of life church uh, my roots are in the jesus movement way back in the 70s if you're familiar with what that is i had a dramatic encounter with jesus when i was in high school and overnight i went from being a high school zeppelin freak to the high school Jesus freak, I was leading a ministry by the time I was seventeen. That was what we called a coffee house ministry. It was kind of the it was a music venue for the Jesus music scene, that more or less turned into a church uh, that I'd been leading since I was seventeen. By the time I was twenty two, I uh, was actually the pastor. So I tell people, "Look, I've been doing the work of a pastor longer than I've been an adult," <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is not a pattern or something I recommend, but it's my story. And uh, the, the church is known as Word of Life Church, and I'm 61, and I'm also an author. I've written nine books, I think, in the past oh, about 10, 11 years. And uh, wow, so, so that, that,
0: that, that gets you up to speed. That's what I am. Okay. okay. That's cool. Right. That's, and excellent. I'm sensing an accent. I'm yeah. going with American. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It's, it's 50-50 for us Australians. And, and I've got kind of
1: a, a, a twang... I I when I was in college in uh in um and I was in a speech class where I where I tried to lose my twang and it didn't work so now I just lean, into it. <laughs> it's what, just lean in It's just lean
0: in, yeah, more character. It's very I say. it's
2: very Matthew McConaughey. I it reckon. is yeah, <laughs> actually it definitely is. It's really is. cool. I like I, it. I,
0: I like it. it. <laughs> uh, so I guess that gives us like a bit of the generic stuff. Yeah. Now this is often where we start when we meet people. We're like, what's the generic things? Yeah, and. I'm gonna go to the clickbait, and then we're gonna proceed with with the with the program of the show. So the clickbait we've got Brian on. Uh, I was looking at some of Brian's work, and I was listening to a podcast, Cam. Yeah. And as as Brian was talking on that podcast, he said, "quote Now don't go around saying that Brian doesn't think the devil is real." And I thought, <laughs> "Now there's a clickbait yeah, there's for a you." Clickbait for you. <laughs> and so we've gone with the devil isn't real, and it's possessed us all. Yeah. Which so, sounds contradictory. It does. And many Christians will be maybe listening and yeah. going, What are you Are you saying the devil's not real? And that yeah. should be a trigger. And we're yeah. like, Good, we've got you. Yeah. We've got you. That's where, um, right where we want you. Another clickbait I had just listening, just trying to really make it really potent. And I like this one, but I didn't go with it. Mm-hmm. America is the devil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, that, that's got about 300 million <laughs> yeah, backed <yeah>. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can go with that. I, we can work on that. <laughs> yes. yeah. you've, you've got us in a nutshell. We yeah. start at the most controversial point. Now, yeah. we're going to play a little game with you now, Brian. We know a little bit about you we now know the clickbait and the most sensational, probably out of context things yeah, that, that people said. might yeah. hear. Yeah. But that's okay because this is very normal for people. Yeah. But, I mean, all of us, We when we Just meet somebody- conclusions. Yeah. yeah, or hear an idea, we yeah. jump to conclusions and yeah. we, we make judgments about the person and what they think. So we're going to get that out of the way. We're going to do it for everybody. Yeah. So then we can move on to the nuance and understanding of the person. You and can ex- sort of explain it. And explain a, a little bit us. more. Yeah. But we all have these assumptions and judgments within us so here we go we're gonna fire at you brian some assumptions that we might have and to be honest i searched around the internet there's a few articles about brian out there that i (laughs) was inspired by Mm -hmm. and you get to say with no nuance yeah yes or no simple yes or no for now and we can Uh, see how much i play along (laughs) 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 a rebel from the start all right let's let's see how we go okay he he does have a twang. Does have a southern twang, yeah. Are you're a redneck. Am I a redneck? Oh no, Red. <laughs> no, I'm a hippie. Come okay, on, a- all right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dead wrong on
2: that. All right, okay. So, it, it, I mean, if you're a hippie, it kind of answers this. It does. one. I'm you're a
0: Jesus freak. That's what around. I
1: am. That's what I. That's what I'll own. I'm a Jesus freak. That's that's what I started out okay. as, and I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm not going to back off. I'm a Jesus freak.
2: Oh, all <clears> right. <throat> fair enough. But well, I don't, so I don't, I don't own gun, a gun. Man.
1: I don't want to own a gun. I don't need a gun. So you can't be a redneck and not own a gun. And I don't own a
0: gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So true, you're out. True. So I'll throw the next one in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I'll say it just in case. From your previous answers, it's sounding like you're not pro-Trump.
1: I, I am. First of all, I'm I'm nonpartisan. Oh, look at that nuance you slide in there
0: with. I'm not pro-Trump. Of course I'm not.
1: No.
2: The alternative is West Coast liberal.
1: One of these liberals. Uh, Well, first of all, I'm not on the West Coast. I'm right in the middle of, I'm in the Midwest. And uh, I I just don't know how to plot myself on that kind of grid. I'm trying not to be left or right. I'm trying to somehow be kingdom of heaven and transcend that. So no, that that would not anchor. Oh, right. Yeah, right. he's refusing the box. He's not playing. Yeah. So we've got Brian in our head. We've got two <laughs> boxes here. I say no to that
0: too. No, I'm not a redneck. No, I'm not a Trump supporter. No, I'm not a West coast liberal. I, I searched around the internet and uh, you know found some assumptions some people might have about you. Mm. Uh, so Brian, you you're a pastor, but you must be a false teacher trying to trick people. That was inspired by f- a few articles. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> No. Nope. <laughs> right. If you're going to be a
1: false teacher trying to trick people, it's best not to do it in the context of one single local church for going on 40 years because people will eventually wise up to it. You kind of have to stay on the uh, move.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. You're a very good false teacher. <laughs> I'm just
1: trying to help people uh, follow Jesus. I've been on my own journey, and those there are plenty of people that want to go with me on this journey. And so. Um, you know, we make our discoveries in real time. And um, I'm not where I started necessarily. I mean, in one sense, I am. I, I started with just an absolute devotion to Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed. Now, some of yeah. how I understand God is revealed in Christ has changed and grown and nuanced and developed over 40 years. So,
2: yeah. no. I'm All not right. Okay. Other. So that's, that's good because uh... that actually is a nice little segue into the next assumption that we found when we were searching around on the internet. Bad doctrine in the hands of an angry minister. It's like you've said that you, you're, some of your ideas have changed, and so there's some people out there that so are it's saying, gone
0: from good doctrine, yeah, to bad doctrine. Now you're
2: on on the bad doctrine side. So what do you have to say to that? It's, so, so I, what was the question
1: though? I didn't, I didn't quite get the question.
2: Do you have bad doctrine, and are you an angry minister because <laughs> <not>. of it? <laughs> I have had bad doctrine,
1: and Ooh. that's why I'm trying to make improvements. Um, okay. <laughs> I can say this. I've never held a theological opinion in bad faith, right? So we're always trying at least I'm trying to do the best I can. But uh, no, I actually think I have pretty good doctrine and I'm not, um, because it's not mine. I don't hold any position that's like Zondian. (laughs) I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I I can find notable, credible theologians and church fathers who would say, oh yeah, yeah, that's, I'm with Zond on that. That's what we're saying. So no, I can find, I'm going to disagree with Calvin,
0: but you know, So if he's got bad doctrine, he doesn't know it. (laughs) And you don't seem angry. Yeah, it doesn't sound.
1: I'm I'm trying not to be. You know, when I was a kid, (laughs) when I was a kid, everybody knew me. I mean, when I met Jesus, everybody knew me as Fry. And that was my, everybody called me Fry. Nobody called me Pastor Brian. (laughs) Uh, I was known as Fry because of my temper, my fiery temper. And uh, and so that's been an ongoing project to try to, in Christ, to uh, set that aside. But, but, I, but I don't think I carry around an innate
0: anger or anything like that. I'm not trying to preach out of that. So then the last one, and I think this is a very common one. It, it's probably the first one hurled at people with mm, progressive, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but yeah. alternative interpretations to the mainstream. There was uh, You were... Read what you want into the Bible. You don't read the Bible. You read what you want into the Bible. Yes or no? Uh,
1: well, no. I'm deliberately trying not to do that. Uh, the Bible is Definitely, such no. that yeah. you can you can you can find what you want. You tell me what you want to believe, and I'll give you your verses. It'll take me 10 minutes. I'll give you your verses to prove you're right. If you want to be a Marxist, I'll give you a verse. You want to be a capitalist, I'll give you your verses. You want to be a universalist, I'll give you your verses. You want to be an infernalist, I'll give you the verses. Um, we, we, we pretend that there's some sort of uh, objective reading of the Bible that is uh, what well, we speak of the perspicuity of Scripture. Which I think is, is a fallacy. That is, is that a, a clear reading, we always bring assumptions and interpretive lenses to the text. Mm-hmm. I think the best thing to wow. do is to be aware of that and try on various lenses. So, okay, how do the Catholics read this? How do the Orthodox read this? Mm-hmm. How do how do mainline liberals read this? How do conservative evangelicals read this? And and understand the reality of pervasive interpretive pluralism. That is. That the Bible can be interpreted in many ways, and we're going to have to have a chorus of voices helping us decide what we're going to believe. So, no, I don't think, um, and in fact, the changes that have occurred in my life um, and how I would interpret the text, especially pertaining to things like nationalism and violence, um, I was quite happy to hold on to the idea of a violent God. it was only as I really began to see that this was contradicted by the life of Christ himself that I decided, hmm, I guess I'm going to have to let go of that. So, you know, as naive or as idealistic as it may sound, I'm trying to allow Jesus to be the guiding principle of interpretation. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to submit to uh, a crystalcentric hermeneutic, that is, um, that ultimately, the Bible must be interpreted pre- interpreted in the light of Christ. So I forgot what the
0: question was, but I think it's no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good. Hey, that's fine. That's that's actually fine. We we yeah. maybe I'm thinking maybe we should revise. You know, allow a little leniency <laughs> on these things because it does get very interesting very quick. Yeah. Oh, so definitely. then. Let's go to because you've got you've got a very broad body of work. I encourage anyone if you're interested, go check out. Like Ron's got a lot of at books. least
2: one of the nine books, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a
0: lot of blog posts that can get you started on, on some of these ideas we're talking about. But today yeah. I'm very interested about one idea, mm. and our clickbait kind of gets there. The sensationalist, hypercharged one is America is the devil, mm. or the devil isn't real and it's possessed us all. So is it real, or how does it possess? If it's not real, I wanna I wanna throw to you and kind of go where you. Want with this, but that's yeah. the starting point. This idea of the devil, and is it, is it real? What is the devil? What is what do Define we mean by some real? For us, yeah.
1: Actually, I wouldn't. Agree. If you say Brian Zahn doesn't believe the devil's yep. real, I would fervently disagree with that. No, I believe the devil is real. Uh-huh. I believe the devil is not a person. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the devil or Satan is more than a metaphor, less than a person. The Satanic is a phenomenon right right. Um, right let me give an let me give an analogy yeah. Um, yeah here in here in North America on the Atlantic side of the of the continent, we have hurricanes and so we 're coming into our hurricane season, and these are. These are weather phenomenon. They come from relatively simple things, hot and cold air and the rotation of the earth and a few other things. And these systems, these weather systems become organized and they, they have a lifespan and we give them names. We personify them. We say, oh, this is Katrina or this is Hugo or this is Andrew. And we give them names. Uh, now, they are not actually a personage, but we do personify them. I think that the satanic is a psycho-spiritual phenomenon that is very, very real. So, so if I say, um, oh, I don't re- I don't think that a that a that a hurricane is actually a person named Katrina or Hugo or Andrew, et cetera. And then, then somebody says, Oh, Brian Zahn doesn't believe in hurricanes. <laughs> yes, I do. I absolutely believe yeah. in hurricanes. And they can be very destructive. Um I think, I think the Satan does not, but I, I think oh, if you think of hurricanes, they come from something very simple, you know, warm, moist air, cold air, colli- colliding, rotation of the earth. It's very simple stuff. The Satan is generated from the most complex thing we know about in the universe, and that is the human mind and psyche, both individually and collectively. And I think out of our fear, out of our anxiety, out of our hate, out of our rage, there is a deadly phenomenon that is generated that is highly destructive. And the, the Bible does, in many places, most of the time, personify the devil. I, I really have no desire to talk, to, to, to demythologize the devil for people unless it becomes a theological problem. And sometimes it does. If if people can go through their whole life with a personified devil and not have a theological problem with it, so be it. I'm not here to undo that, but people do have problems. And sometimes, sometimes they'll they'll come from children, Um, but it can come from anyone, but it'll come in the form of this kind of question. There's a couple of varieties of it. Um, Well, why don't we just, sometimes innocent children will do this. They'll say, why don't we just get the devil saved? Mm. Why don't we just, you know, tell the devil about Jesus mm. and it's get a, the devil to believe plan. on Jesus yeah. and be saved and we can solve the problem. Others are maybe, uh, th- their, I, their solution is, well, why doesn't God just kill the devil? Uh, a famous based? American <laughs> preacher, he used to good use this based. line. Uh, he, he would say this all the time. And it was, he did it kind of as a joke. And he was, a, he was a, I'm not going to name who he, who he was. He, he was a good man, probably not a good theologian. And he would say, if I was God, he was, he was a Texan. If I was God, the first thing I would do is kill the devil. And then I'd invite all the demons to his funeral and kill them too. And everybody sure. laughs. But a few people go, Well, that's an idea. Why not? Where's the C4? (laughs) Because the phenomenon that we call the Satan is inextricably bound up with who we human beings are. And God cannot kill, quote, kill the devil without killing us too. But as we learn to move away from accusation, violence, hate, the devil begins begins to... begins to dif- disappear. This is related to Augustine's understanding of the nature of evil. Uh, 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 evil doesn't have ontological being. Because if evil has ontological being, then God is the creator of evil.
0: What's ontological being, just real quick?
1: Well, ontological means just inherent to its structure, to its being. That it, that it, 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 it has pure being and existence. So evil does not exist unto itself. It's not a thing that can just exist. It is parasitical. Uh, so that if I have a if I have a hole in my sweater here, I don't. But if I did, I, I would say, "Okay, I have a hole in my sweater." Well, what is a hole? Well, a hole is nothing. It's not really a thing. But everybody understands what I mean if I say, I "Have a hole." There's a hole. Well, actually, the whole is a marring of the fabric of goodness. All right? So God is not the author of evil. Evil is parasitic in nature. Uh, The devil in due time will be dealt with as the world is being saved by Christ. Uh, Stanley Hirewalt, one of my very favorite theologians, he says it this way. He says... the devil is angry because the devil knows, as he must, that he doesn't exist. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, th- I, think th- I think the satanic phenomenon is so complex that it almost verges on self-awareness. That I think it's that complex and pervasive. But in the end, it doesn't inhere it, it doesn't in the ground of being. All right. So so in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Evil, you would not say of evil that in God it lives and moves and has its being. It really doesn't have being. Rather, it is a distortion of that which does have being within God. So I do believe in the devil. I just don't understand the devil as a person because that leads to for some people, that will lead to certain
0: theological quandaries yeah. that you know need to be dealt. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, cool. yeah. Your your definition of of uh, real is you know people would people would say the devil's real or not real, and and what I think they would often mean,ing say growing up in a in a very uh, Christian household, it it it, it does uh, link to this idea of being yes. like a, like a very personified. Force, but to kind of recap, we'll see what we've, what we've yeah. gathered here.
2: Yeah, make sure that we're picking up what you're putting down.
0: You're, you're talking, I like the analogy of like what the hurricane, Like yeah. it's very real, it has force, and it, it's, it's not
2: like there's Steve sitting somewhere creating this throwing hurricane, lightning, yeah, and, or and, and hail rain. and stuff like yeah, that, all, yeah,
0: all that. Um,
2: so that's in the same way there's no being in, in a hurricane, but the hurricane definitely exists and it has real effects. Real effects. And I really liked the whole idea where you've, you're you saying, and this is what one thing I want to sort of clarify, what you're saying is like if you imagine God as like a sweater and you've got a hole in the sweater, the hole in the sweater is sort of like the absence of God. It's like the hole is the absence of the completed sweater. So it's like the devil is sort of like this absence of god if that like ground of being yeah. is that sort of like what you're saying
1: yeah and maybe i'll maybe i'll kind of lead you into the second statement and and america what i the clickbait is the devil isn't real but the devil is real and <laughs> <laughs> uh but america is the devil yes that's a,
0: that's a good
1: one <laughs> that'd be a real popular one yeah sounds like it comes out of iran or yeah. <laughs> here's the thing here's the thing um Christians over centuries have kind of cobbled together and assumed, if you will, biography of Satan. And it comes mostly from Isaiah, Ezekiel, a little bit of Jesus. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, and some stuff in Revelation. But let's stick for a moment with the original sources in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where these two prophets personify the kingdoms, of uh, Babylon and Tyre, with their kings, and in critiquing Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, Isaiah calls him the morning star; that he was glorious. That that, uh, but but he is doomed to fall because you know the prophets always announce that Babylon has fallen, and then Ezekiel does something very similar with the king of Tyre. Um, indicating, and this is a prominent theme in Scripture, that empire is always satanic in nature. And what do I mean by empire? Mm-hmm. I mean rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. God loves nations and ethnicities and cultures and languages with all of their beauty and diversity, but God is opposed to empire. Because what they claim for themselves, a divine right to rule other nations, a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda, is an impingement upon the sovereignty of God, for God has promised this to His Son and His Son alone. It's Jesus who has a divine right to rule nations and a manifest destiny to shape history. But when nations, whether they are Babylon or Egypt or Greece or Persia or Rome or Byzantium or Spain or France or Germany or Great Britain or America, mm. seek to become empires, that's when they have crossed the line. Mm. Now, specifically regarding America, let me say something about that. You guys, are where are you? In Aust- you're in Australia, right? Yeah, yeah Melbourne. Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne. I've never been to Melbourne. I've been to Sydney bunches of times, and I've been to Perth. It's the only places I've been. Not
0: bad. Yeah, I need to get
1: around two, more. Two,
0: two of the five places is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: America is its so enormous in its influence on the world right now and really since World War II. It's not one thing, it's four things. The United States is a nation, a culture, an empire, a religion. All right, as a nation and as a culture, of course, that's obviously a nation, right? I mean, with its 50 states and its borders and all that, it's obviously a nation, but it's also obviously a culture because, you know, I've traveled the world, I've been in 50 some countries, and I see American culture everywhere I go. Uh, As a nation and as a culture, America is a mixed bag, but there is much to be celebrated. There's much that's commendable, there's much that's inspirational, and I readily, Agree with that, uh, and celebrate that. As an empire, uh, I've already touched on the fact that it becomes a rival to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and as a religion, it's idolatrous. Now, I don't know who I don't know who's seeing this. I don't know what are, what people think about this, but uh, some people might be taken aback by uh, a religion. Yeah, a religion. Hmm. Now, the thing is. It borrows so heavily from some of the vernacular and iconography of Christianity that many American Christians get it all mixed up. and it, you know, it's 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 endemic right now.
0: Would you liken that to uh, like Constantine, including and like shifting? Has, are you saying like America's like the religion of America has done a? That's similar thing? that's where it began.
1: That was the first iteration of it in the Roman Empire from Constantine on. Maybe I can touch on that for a moment. Uh, but, then, but then it has other iterations throughout history. So what America is doing now in the form of being a kind of religion conflated with Christianity is idolatrous and it can have catastrophic results, but it's not particularly unique. Uh, Great Britain did it for a very long. Germany did it for a rather sh- short but very uh, destructive period of time about 100 years ago. Um, so Constantine. So you you have you have uh, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ taking root within the Roman Empire for three centuries, and Christians were periodically persecuted. Not, by the way, on what we would think of as religious reasons. The Roman Empire was remarkably religiously tolerant. It had to be to be an empire like that. It had to be able to say, "Yeah, y'all can have your religions." What it wasn't tolerant of was any claim that someone other than caesar was lord we hear of lord as, as a purely religious expression but consider this in in those century those, those, you know in the first second third centuries you would have these were imperial titles granted by the roman senate to the emperor the titles like son of god savior of the world Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord. And they would be communicated through the only means of mass communication they had at that time, and that was the coinage. So you would have you would have an, uh, an image of the emperor with the, an inscription with one of his senate-conferred imperial titles. Christians then come along and begin to do something very subversive and actually at times quite dangerous. And they begin to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is Prince of Peace. Jesus is Savior of the world. And by implication, they're saying, and Caesar is not. Christians were persecuted because they would not pledge allegiance in some token gesture or other forms to Caesar, who is the personification of the Roman Empire. And so there were periodic bouts of persecution. Often directed toward the bishops and the leaders, but sometimes on more local levels, it could break out in a localized population persecuting Christians. Uh, and this went on for three centuries. Then in the year, oh I've forgotten the year, 312 was it? Somebody will know. Uh, there was there was another civil war going on within the Roman Empire, and there was going to be a decisive battle, the battle for the Milvian Bridge and you have this young ambitious general named Constantine now as he tells the story or as the story is told later on how much of this is mythic uh, i think probably nearly all of it but it's told like this i'll just say it as it's told that constantine had a vision and he saw this he saw the sign of the cross in the heavens with these words in this sign you shall conquer and so he placed the Christian symbol upon their weapons of war. He was victorious in his uh, in his battle, became emperor, and in short order uh, stopped the persecution of Christianity. Then made it the favored religion, and in effect made it the state religion of the Roman Empire. Um, let's back up to this vision, though. So in this in this sign, you shall conquer. Of course, conquer is a euphemism for kill. And so suddenly, you have this phenomenon where this faith, known as Christian, which has been almost universally nonviolent for its first three years, suddenly is taking the cross, which is is the symbol of co-suffering love, and it's now become a talisman for war. Mm -hmm. And now, I I have to say this. I have to say this. The mistake that was made in the church embracing Constantine's Christianity was a mistake. I think it clearly was a mistake. I also think it was an inevitable mistake. I just don't know how some Christian in Milan or Ephesus or Rome hears this rumor that the emperor has become some kind of Christian and is gonna sit around and go, well, we're not gonna put up with that, are we? (laughs) I mean, they're gonna see this as a good thing. Because it does end persecution. And they do begin to have favor and positions of power, but it created a terrible problem. And that is, for three centuries, Christians have been saying Jesus is Lord. Now it's like, yeah, but so is Caesar because he's one of our boys now. And so this creates a problem. And so Jesus, you can't just get rid of Jesus and call yourself Christian, but what happens is Jesus gets demoted. And instead of being Lord, he becomes, in effect, Secretary of Afterlife Affairs. And it becomes the job of Jesus to get us into heaven when we die. In the meantime, we'll let Caesar run the world. And that has been passed on down through. And the primary reason that a certain section of American Christians can are, are so taken with the idea that we have to we have to have the right person in the white house and we have to have the right senators and congressmen in washington or god's will can't can't be accomplished is because they still haven't perceived the kingdom of christ uh-huh. they haven't perceived it it's all confused with the with the agenda, with the American agenda, they've conflated them. They're one and they're the same. And, then they're, and there's the myth, the mythology that that God raised up America. God didn't raise up America. God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to his right hand. And Jesus said, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me." If you remember, if you if you want to stop me at any point, you can try to jump in here, but I'm on a roll. Yeah, okay, okay. no it's a good roll. <laughs> if, if, if you remember, in the third temptation in the wilderness. Uh, the temptation was, well, the, the Satan shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory and says, oh, this has all been given to me, you know, and I can give it to whomever I want. You just gonna you know, bow down, do a little obeisance, just bow down a little bit of worship and I'll give it to you. OK, is this is this Jesus really being tempted to become a Satanist? Uh, no, it's it's this Jesus is thinking, how am I going to go about bringing the kingdom of God? Well, I could do what everybody else has done before me, and that is I could wage war upon the occupying Romans, maybe even march on Rome itself, dethrone Caesar, and set up my kingdom, and I would do it all for good. But Jesus perceives, no, to take up the means of violence to achieve a peaceful end, in fact, is a compromise tantamount to bowing down to the devil. Right and Jesus says it is written you shall serve you shall worship
0: the Lord your God and him only shall you serve be gone satan I, I just want to kind of pause there cuz I was speaking to my wife actually and she and and we were talking about almost a very similar thing so the story you're talking about of Jesus going to the wilderness and being tempted by the devil so from from my general understanding You know, before this, the general interpretation, and what I think maybe a lot of people might be thinking, if I'm to assume that, was that he's in there, and then the devil, this very real kind of person, Lucifer, the person, is like, I own it all. I will magically click my fingers and it will be yours. But what I'm hearing in your, uh, you know, uh, your telling of that is if, 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 the person of say satan or lucifer or whoever it is in that story is the representation of a violent narrative of empire saying jesus if you want to make changes for these oppressed jewish people you need to you can take swords and you can overthrow it with start violence start killing and, romans And yeah. start killing and so in that moment then just are you saying that the that the devil in that story is a symbolic metaphoric representation of a particular worldview and not and not what maybe a lot of people might be thinking. Like an actual being. Like an actual being yeah. who who can click his fingers and I control the world. Did the devil come to Jesus? Yes. How did he
1: come to Jesus? Did he come, you know, with a red suit and a pitchfork and a long pointy tail and little horns and say, Hi, I'm Lucifer. I'm here to tempt you. Shall we begin? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I mean no I think the temptation came to Jesus the same way it comes to us it comes disguised as our own thinking and Jesus is thinking about how to how to accomplish his ministry we'll skip the first two but finally he says okay I could I could use violence for a good end which is always the temptation like the ring
0: of power in Lord of the Rings eh? yeah yeah exactly Ex- exactly, that's what it is.
1: Right. And Jesus recognizes that the end does not justify the means, but rather the means are the end in the process of becoming. Right. And the means-, so if the means are violent. Right. Ultimately, the end yeah. is going to be it's violent, always violent. And it's going to yeah. be satanic. And so Jesus won't go that way. So he rejects receiving all authority through that method that we can call satanic but after his wow. death burial and resurrection you know i mean he's he, jesus doesn't kill his enemies he's killed by his enemies and forgives them yeah. but he's raised yeah. and then prior to his ascension he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me so how much authority does that leave for any any government none i call upon the governments of this of the world to bow their knee to jesus christ because he's lord and and so you can't coax me into being an well, I was starting to say an elephant or a donkey. I don't know if you get that in Australia. Yeah, yeah. The Republican understand. Democrat yeah, yeah. divide. Because I'm following the lamb, right? There you go. <laughs> right. That's actually a very good one. But I but I seriously God. don't
0: identify with that. I'm gonna
1: say I can sum up my politics in three words. Jesus is Lord.
0: So bring us to then what you're what you're speaking about then. I'm I'm drawing some connections between if if violence is used as a me- as a way to change the world and shape it in your way that's a pattern we see throughout history that empire has done and continues to do so to bring that to the very you know sensationalist clickbait america is the devil america the empire not the culture not the, uh, not, the country. not the nation yeah. but the empire that seeks to use a very because america is unique to australia in that you'll hear in america I just remember like seeing George Bush when he would talk about like the Iraq war, like he's, he's, he's speak of God in talking about going to war and fighting for freedom and justice. It was using almost holy language in to speak like we fight for freedom. You obviously don't. Whereas in Australia, it's, well, we're not we don't really, we're a little bit more like secular in that regard. Like you won't, we've had both atheist and Christian prime ministers and it, that's actually like a possibility, whereas I understand in America it's not. So as as we're linking this, you're talking about America as the empire of using violence to shape the world its way, and that many Christians and
2: even if it is a good, like it's at its core, it's trying to do a good thing, but the mechanism, but of the violence mechanism.
0: Could, could never accomplish that. That's right. And yeah. therefore, that is what you're talking about, is the satanic power or the, or the evil of the human forces that are individual and collective coming together to then create this thing called empire that enforces violence on the world. Is that a s- somewhat understanding of it?
1: Violence is a contagion,
0: and violence begets
1: violence. And in every war... Every side sincerely sees themselves as acting only in response to someone else's aggression. No one ever sees themselves as the aggressor. Why does Germany in the 1930s invade Poland? Do they say because we are aggressive? No, they say because German nationals living in Poland are being persecuted, and they were, that was true. So we are invading so that we can defend German nationals. So even in their thinking, everyone is acting righteously on both sides. Everyone is acting defensively. Everyone is acting in response to a previous act of violence. No one sees themselves as the initiator of the violence. At some point, someone has to break from that, and it's Jesus that has done that and now he calls us to follow him in imitation and people say yeah but if we didn't fight back we would what well, they might just kill us they might and martyrdom is always on the table i guess you didn't read the fine print but you signed up for it in your baptism all right i mean part of the terms of discipleship is take up your cross and follow me what is a cross it's an it's an instrument of execution we're so willing to, if necessary, lay down our life for Christ that, that we already, just, you know, we carry the, the means of it around with us. There, you want to kill me? All right, here it is. I brought the cross. You can nail me to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that that one of the greatest failures of American Christianity that I'm aware of is that the possibility of martyrdom is not even considered. Yet in the book of Revelation. It's the saints of whom we can say they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives, even to the death. Those are the kind of saints that are commended, not those that are going to say, I'm going to fight for our freedom. And by the way, in the American context, freedom is a euphemism for power to kill. When you hear Americans talk about freedom, what they what lurks behind that is not, not the liberty to become... Uh, fully realized in human flourishing as image-bearing creatures that God wants us to be. Rather, the word freedom is a euphemism for power to kill.
2: I'm glad you said that because we're Australian. We can't say that.
0: (laughs) If you will just substitute power to kill, power to kill, power to kill. That's what lurks behind that. Because you find the most holy, I can only think of those words, or the most justifiable or the most... uh, Yeah, justifiable reason to go and kill, and then you put it in front, and then you go and kill because, well, isn't this worth killing for? You all
2: point to that and say, this is what we're going, that's the end goal. Which is
0: almost an exact reversal to say, well, is it worth dying for, which is what Jesus ultimately went. I could try and lead an uprising against Rome and kill them, or I can expose the violence of empire. By, being, by killed. being killed, and yeah. ultimately the subsequent movement that follows. In the
1: American Evangelical Church, you'll often hear this little aphorism: uh, "You know, there are two people who have died for you: Jesus Christ and the American soldier." Of course, it's blasphemous to conflate the two, but wow. it happens all the time. Wow. There is a difference between those deaths, though. Uh, Jesus, Jesus refuses to fight, and he lays down his life, and he explains to Pilate, "My kingdom is not from this world." That is from this world of violence. If it were, my servants would be fighting, but they don't fight. Mm. And Jesus lays down his life. The American soldier who we say, okay, they died for us. Well, they their, their intention wasn't to die for us. Their intention was to kill for us. But in the process of killing yeah, other they, people, yeah. some
0: people didn't like being killed, and so they fought back and they got
2: killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: they're not to be completed as the same at all. In fact, they're complete opposites. Because yeah,
0: right. it's interesting. i just picking up on that phrase of lays down his life. I've almost only exclusively heard it Within the context of, you know, more of a penal substitutionary atonement, I mean, Jesus dying for our sins. Mm. But to hear it in this context makes it gives it like very interesting. He lays down his life because he believes in his way of love and peace, yeah. and and then because of that, tr- because he holds to that, therefore he he ultimately lays down his life because of the empire or the controlling forces will just kill him because if you don't fight back... At the
1: cross, we discover a God revealed in Christ who would rather die than kill his enemies. Remember, the cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. That's terrible theology. The cross is what God in Christ endures as he forgives. Um, The cross is not where... Jesus saves us from God the cross is where Jesus reveals God as savior okay there's no there's no rupture in the trinity when when Jesus says father forgive them for they know not what they do Jesus is not acting as an agent of change upon the father John is very clear about this in his gospel he repeats over and over Jesus is saying things like I only do what I see my father do I only say what I hear my father say: If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And so, why does Jesus say, "Father, forgive them"? Because this is what He hears and sees: the Father saying and doing the response of the Father to the Son would be, "Of course, Son, this is who we are."
2: Yeah, yeah. So we've had we've had somebody on the um, podcast before talking about similar ideas. Um, so that's but the what the language that you're putting on that I think is almost a bit clearer so
0: um, I, I like that thank you I want to bring this to I mean there's so many different layers we could go down because I know uh, maybe we'll get to some questions people have sent through at the at the end mm. but I want to go to then we've we've kind of skimmed it and you know we got it because we're on a time we're on a time limit here yeah. <laughs> but But I want to go to then practically, you know, like there's this idea of, you know what, the devil isn't a person, it's a force of our human nature individually and collectively that creates something very, that has a very real impact on human suffering. What do you think from you personally, when did, like you maybe didn't think this way, Mm. talk to me about the journey of thinking differently to accepting this idea now and then how this idea when you accepted it helps you practically like how did it change you politically like what does it look like do you abstain from voting or do you like what what, like practically for you
1: uh well that's that's a wide open question (laughs) i just heard that last bit but do i abstain from voting i'll tell you what i've done here's what i've done in the past Uh, For a long time, what I would do, because I I would go to the polls, I would vote in very local contests. You know, I'd vote for the school board. I'd vote, you Uh know, mayor or something like that. Uh I would not cast a, what I call a legitimate ballot for the presidency, because I didn't want it to be construed as me authorizing someone to wage war on my behalf. Right. So I would I would write in Bob Dylan or Wendell Berry or Tree (laughs) Beard. Yes, Tree Beard. I don't think Tree Beard's American. I don't think I don't I don't think he was born in America. Oh, you're right. He can't be it. Yeah. (laughs) Middle earth, I think. The last time around I did something different. I didn't do that last time. Because I thought, well, I said, you know, it seems like the stakes are getting higher. And I feel like maybe, you know, who whether whether Hillary or Trump is elected. Maybe my life doesn't change that much. Middle class, white male, you know, maybe, maybe things don't affect me that much. But there are others that will be affected. So here's what I did. I found an undocumented immigrant in our church, and I know their story very well. And I've worked with them. I've, I have spent my own money. I've hired lawyers. I've done what I can to get them legal status, and it's a mess. And it's, at this point, it just seems utterly impossible. And I, I love them, and I, and I feel for them. And, and if you knew their story, you'd say, my, this is just completely unjust. Anyway, I went to them, and I said, well, look, you know, we got this election coming up. You may have heard about it. <laughs> uh, you can't vote in it. I think that's a crying shame. You have more at stake than I do, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my vote. Uh, you think about it, read about it, pray about it, and then you tell me what you want me to do. And on election day, I will go to the polls and I'll vote. But really, between you and me, we'll know it's your vote. All I'm doing is is acting
0: on your behalf. And so that's what I did last time. Mm. It's, well, it's interesting because there are so many different layers because I, I hear what you're saying. You're saying if I if I vote one way, you, in a way it's saying I, I authorize this person to go and kill on my behalf. But then on different levels, it, 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 it goes to there are real impacts for other people on this level. So like, and this is why... as a white male, he,
2: like Brian's saying, that he's like the least affected person. Immigration policy won't affect you. Won't affect
0: you. Uh, So I can see these different... This is why like the why behind people vote is actually very... The why behind why people vote and who they vote for is actually very interesting because there are so many different ways you can interpret what a vote means because it is so many things. Mm. Uh, To, I can... I think I can piece together like your pract- how your practical outflow of accepting this idea of the devil and evil mm. has, has shaped then how you engage practically with politics. Yeah. Talk to me about the transition of perhaps your previous belief yeah. and what was the gateway drug idea that maybe opened the door to this way of looking at evil and the devil?
1: Uh, it was, well... The, the, a, well, a couple of books. For, in one sense, if you're going to talk about gateway drug for me, it was one particular book, and maybe I'll take just a moment and tell the story about it. Mm-hmm. This was in 2004, and I, I was you know, reading a lot of church fathers and philosophy because I'd reached the point where I just felt like the Christianity I knew was unworthy of the Christ that I had pledged my allegiance to. I just needed to find a better Christianity, And I was reading a lot of church fathers, really, you know, historical Christianity, but I knew I needed something more contemporary. And at this point in my life, I was just embarrassingly ignorant of the good stuff. And in frustration, I prayed one day and I said, um, I just said, God, show me what to read. And a few moments later, my wife walked in the room. She walks up to me, hands me a book and says, here, I think you should read this. That was spooky enough. I mean, it's like, wow, because she didn't know what I prayed. I had just prayed. God, show me what to read. She walks in the room, here, I think you should read this. Ooh. and But it gets stranger. Um, she had not read this book. It gets stranger. We don't know how that book got in our house. To this day, we don't know. She, she found it. We have a lot of books in our house, but she found this book. She picks it up, looks at the title, looks at the back, says, hmm, I think Brian might like to read this. And the book was The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And that was definitely the gateway. And that opened up for everything that followed. To be more specific, though, about my understanding of the Satan, uh, this is very influenced by René Girard, a French. He did almost all of his work in America, but he's, he's he was French in, in his birth and nationality. A member of the French Immortals, uh, one of the... One of the most important thinkers of the 20th century lived into the 21st century. I spent an afternoon with him in his house in, in uh, Stanford, and maybe I don't know, maybe 2010, something like that. It's hard to remember exactly now, but uh, that's a whole enormous body of work. But probably the best place, the best book to begin with him is a book called "I See Satan Fall Like Lightning." It's it's not
0: too oh, difficult.
1: I see Satan Fall Like Lightning by Renee Girard. That would be a good
0: place to start. And what was the idea? Because I am intrigued always, we like to get to like the the gateway drugs, the the ideas that you came to accept that either opened the door and led to other things. When you talk about the book The Divine Conspiracy, what was, if you can, identify The idea that shifted. What did you maybe... I can simply tell you that. It was for the first time in my
1: life, even though I had been preaching Jesus and seeking to follow Jesus for many, many years at that point, I finally saw the kingdom of God. I finally understood
0: what this was about. And that changes everything. So when you use the word kingdom of God in that in that context and you say I finally saw the kingdom of God. What then, did you think what before? Did, yeah.
2: And how did it change? What
1: did you see then? I would have seen the kingdom of God previously as salvation, as a, as another uh term for salvation, which by the way is not, is not inaccurate. That's actually accurate, but if you if you're understanding what salvation means is mixed up, then you're going to be confused. Uh, I'll I'll get to that in a second. Um, Jesus, everything he ever said or did was either an announcement or enactment of the kingdom of God. It's the only thing he ever talked about, kingdom of God. Uh, and, And he uses that phrase over and over and over and over. Paul, on the other hand, occasionally uses the word kingdom of God, the phrase, not very often. Rather, he talks about salvation all the time. Salvation, salvation, salvation. Jesus rarely, I think only on two occasions, does Jesus use the noun salvation. So what, what Jesus tends to call the kingdom of God, Paul tends to call the kingdom of God uh, salvation, but they're not talking about two different things. They're talking about the same thing. All right? The kingdom of God, that's what Jesus calls it. Paul calls it salvation, but they're the same thing. I... I understood, though, that, that salvation is not primarily post-mortem, afterlife, go to heaven and not hell. That's heaven and hell, minimalism. Instead, salvation is what God is bringing into the world to save the world. God's plan of salvation is not to save parts of people for another world, but to save the world. And so I began to see that the kingdom of God wasn't something we go to when we die, but it's something that's here now, inaugurated by Christ, and we're called to fully participate in it. We're not waiting to fly off to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is among us. It's here. It's now. And because, because my allegiance wow. is entirely pledged to the kingdom of Christ, it just leaves nothing for the kingdom of America. Uh, now, I have a passport because i like to, you know, come over and see you Aussies now and then, and, and they won't let me in without one. Uh, so I have a nationality, I have a citizenship, I have a passport, but it's what we would call a philosophical accidental. In other words, it's not intrinsic to my being. It's just, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's an accidental. It's not, I don't know how else to say it, it's not intrinsic to my being. And so I hold my citizenship loosely. My current passport is simply, you know, it's not something I, I, you know, I'm proud to be an American. No, it's just, that's, that's, that's my, that's my earthly citizenship. And I need to hold on to that because I can't travel without it. But my true citizenship is from the heavens not in heaven, but from the heavens in this, this kingdom of Christ that is breaking into the world, and I want to participate in it now and help to extend the rule of Christ. Now, but if someone hears me say that and they go, oh, that makes me nervous because it sounds like you Christians are going to be you know, trying to take over. Well, in one sense, yes, but relax because the kingdom of God is without coercion. We persuade by love, witness, spirit. Reason, rhetoric, and if need be, by martyrdom, but never by force. So, I like Paul, I'll say, Yeah, I want all people to be like I am, that is, confessing that Jesus is Lord, but fear not, I won't force you to do anything. I will try to persuade you love, witness, reason, rhetoric, spirit, all of that. And if need be, I'm ready to, I'm willing to lay down my life. But I'm. But I but I won't use any force. I would. Wouldn't bring any harm, any violence on someone, uh, in the name of Jesus. That's completely okay. out of. Power. So
0: it sounds like this idea of heaven, like you said it quite well. Jesus became the minister of affairs for the afterlife, mm-hmm. and that's the idea of uh, a very prominent idea within Christianity of the heaven out there. This earth, yeah, yeah, whatever. We'll get off it to a better place. Yeah. But it sounds like that idea of reckoning that that you came across that said. Jesus said, "The kingdom of heaven is here. It's amongst us." And you began to like engage with that idea that, well, if and the, the kingdom, world in that way. If the kingdom of heaven is yeah. here and it is amongst us, then I need to engage in the world in a way that isn't trying to escape it, yeah. but transform it with love to the point where and, you
2: and reveal that kingdom almost. Right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah.
0: it's it's it, yeah it, yeah you're right. It is like revealing. That kind of kingdom that is already here, yeah. But people can participate in through what you're saying, which is loving your neighbour. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, as we as we kind of come to the end, I what do you think? Because you said at the top that you're not interested in everyone having to have the same picture of evil and the devil as as you might be describing. Like if they have a personified version of the devil, you said you know that can be fine as well. What do you think is gained? Well, the
1: Bible largely does, so I, I have to be fine with it. But sometimes when people have a problem,
0: you have to help work them through that. What, what then do you think is gained by this understanding of evil and the devil? What do you think yeah. people might be missing out on if yeah. they hold to a very literalistic uh, interpretation of the devil, like it's a Lucifer fallen angel come to deceive everybody? What yeah. do you think they might be missing out on?
1: Yeah, what you you lose is an idea where somehow God is complicit in evil or somehow that God is incapable of overcoming evil or that ultimately the only way that God can overcome evil is by killing some being or destroying some being. Uh, Those are all theological problems that are overcome when we understand that evil itself is not a thing. It's a phenomenon, but it's not part of that which is within the ground of being that is God Himself. I know that that may, that may be some sophisticated thinking there, but I mean I meet more and more people who are already thinking about the problems, and so so yeah, why doesn't God just kill the devil, or why don't we get the devil saved? If God will forgive us, how come He won't forgive the devil? Isn't the devil just a fallen angel? Okay, he screwed up. Let's forgive him. Let's. Mm. And so you get, you get rid of all those problems.
0: I mm. am hearing, so I guess what I'm hearing is like a a more whole loving picture of God is what you're talking about. This, this God isn't somehow hamstrung by this devil and yeah. this evil. Because there's an element of powerlessness.
2: Like, because if you could mm. if, if if it was such a simple thing as just converting the devil. <laughs> that's right. That, well, that's then, like, why don't we do why that? Why don't we do that? converting right. like, or killing is, yeah does god not have the ability to do that
0: i'm trying to think of some ideas or that some people might be by thinking when you when you liken evil to this so-called hole in the sweater and almost intrinsic to the human nature and consciousness itself as individually or collectively coming together why to use a similar argument of why not just kill the devil why couldn't you know, why couldn't God just create a sweater without the hole, a human without the evil? Why couldn't we have this perfect ideal that we seem to be able to construct in our head? Okay, well now now we're into the realm of
1: theodicy. Okay, uh, you know, trying to reconcile the Christian claim that God is omnipotent, omnibenevolent, omniscient, and yet babies get brain cancer. Uh, I I think, the, I think the challenge is always this. That we exp- that we are authentic beings, and that we are hurled into the realm of existence where anything can happen, and almost all things happen. The only theodicy I have for this is that well, maybe a couple of things. One, God does not exempt Himself from that suffering, but God in Christ fully, God doesn't stand aloof from human suffering because authentic freedom seems to come with come at the price of the possibility of evil and suffering. But God in Christ does not exempt himself from that, but he joins us in that. Okay, that's the first part. The second part is we confess that the story has not yet been fully told, that in the end, all things can be healed, all things can be redeemed. I I hold to the hope of apokatastasis. That's that Greek word that that means the restoration of all things, that God in Christ can, in the end, heal everything. And there's no more holes, there's no more wounds, there's no more sorrow. You know, the the book of Revelation talks about every tear being wiped away. Uh, The great mystic Julian of Norwich says, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Why can we believe that? Because we're told that God is love and in him there's no darkness at
0: all. Two final questions. Yeah. How do you how do you how do people when you engage with people with this idea and people know that you might think this idea. Yeah. How do you think people see you? Cuz you know we we come across a lot of articles that yeah. you know a lot of pastors of, of different denominations and churches might might throw around, you know, words like heretic or bad doctrine or angry minister and things like that. How how do you think other people might see you when you have this idea?
1: I can, you know, I have a lot of experience with being me. <laughs> that one, perfect. <laughs> and, and this is my experience, and I'm just going to be kind of blunt about yeah. it. Unless they are a certain kind of Calvinist, almost everyone uh, is delighted to discover that the good news is even better than they thought.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And if, if there's one thing that sums up Really, my theology, it's this statement that God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. And if I teach that God is love and every action of God is consistent with that love, unless they have been formed in a certain brand of Calvinism, they embrace it with great joy and and. Tears, and I get emails and letters, and back when we actually saw people in person, they would come up to me and hug me and tell me that you know i 've been looking for this all my life. thank you, thank you thank you and the the, uh, the The resistance really just comes from a certain reformed camp right, not all Calvinists but a, a certain breed right. of Calvinists that's really the
0: only place it comes from. Well, so
2: that's the last question then.
0: How do you see them? That form of Calvinist. Yeah. That might think that. How, how do you view them?
2: Like what are they missing in their life?
1: Well, it's, at times I'm I'm tempted to be combative. I don't know <laughs> if that helps. Stanley Hirewas said, it's a miracle that Christianity survived Calvinism.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Um. You know, I, I just think it's, I think well. I mean, I've written books on it, so you can read "Sinners in the Hands of Loving God." There, I can't improve. You know, I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and do better than I did in that book. Mm. Um, yeah. But look, I I mean, I talk with people almost every day who were a part of that kind of distortion of Christian faith and found their way out of it. Mm. Uh, and it's all—if you've noticed—it's it's it's almost. almost all exclusively young
2: dudes. Okay, it's almost exclusively that. Why do you? Very think few might women hold that position. Yeah. What's your?
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, that's going to take maybe a psychologist, sociologist to work on that one a little bit for me. But mm. I, I've just noticed that that phenomenon is true, and uh, you know, so. But but I've seen plenty of guys come out of that too. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. What happens is this: often the, the journey's like this. Um. They've grown up in some kind of milieu of evangelical Christianity. They've experienced maybe, you know, kind of just mega church, bland, uh, shallow, thin, almost no theology at all. It's just kind of an American ethos with a little bit of Jesus thrown in. And suddenly they, they, they hunger for some robust theology. And for whatever reason, maybe it's through the influ- influence of John Piper and others, uh, they find Calvinism. And I'll say what you will about Calvinism. It is a system. It is I'll say it this way. Calvinism is the most elaborate, the greatest, most comprehensive theological system ever developed. Just remember, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they 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 find Calvinism as an
0: alternative to this, you know, shallow, cheap, is it certainty and answers that they find within that system? Uh, you you
1: you have a you have a you have a powerful God, you know, who 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 is really more akin to, to a deified Nietzsche's will to power than anything revealed in Jesus Christ. But that's part of their problem. Um, but I'm just saying there, there you know keep stay on the journey, read a little bit wider, you know, begin to read some NT right. Begin to read some other theologians. I mean, you know, have enough nerve to break out of that. And 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 by the way, I'm not saying that, that not all reform. I mean, Walter Brueggemann, who I adore, he wrote the foreword to Postcards from Babylon. Uh, he will describe himself as reformed. He'll say he's a Calvinist, but he's not one of those Calvinists. So so it isn't like I'm opposed to all forms of Reformed Christianity. Is that particular? strand, a very aggressive, they seem to be carrying the anger as far as I'm concerned, uh, or, or at least reveling in a God that is angry and violent and retributive. Uh, Walter Brueggemann holds to none of that. When he says he's a Calvinist, what he means is he's a Calvinist as opposed to Harwas, who isn't, in the sense that Calvin does have a vision for uh, a Christian society. Harwas is going to be suspicious of that entire project. Uh Brueggemann says no, I, I think maybe, you know, I mean Calvin's Geneva wasn't it, but maybe we get something a little closer to that, oh, you know. It's that it's that he has that he has a vision for a Christian informed public policy. That's he's a Calvinist like that. And right.
0: that circles almost back to your idea of empire and evil yes, yeah. to to use Christian policy to on, on that em- empirical, that's not the right the yeah. use of that word, but the empire level yeah. to enforce change through any means necessary, yeah. including violence. I yeah. i mean, we've definitely covered a lot of ground there. I yeah. have a million more questions, but we, we should thank Brian for yeah. your time. It's yeah. been great to speak with you and and really have some new ideas to sit with yeah. and digest. So thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us. Yeah. Well,
1: we talked about things I like to talk about. I enjoyed it. Sorry about having technical glitches, but
2: uh, that's all right. Hey, it's not the worst. It'll be it'll be all lined <laughs> not, out in the podcast. You're actually pretty
0: savvy. You're not you're not the worst we've come across. So it's, all, it's all good. So if you if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're listening to it and you're thinking oh, I disagree with that, then perfect. You're in the right place. Yeah, uh, yeah. It might not be pleasant, but it's awesome to listen to ideas that yes. we disagree with and challenge us. So, so yeah. whether you heard some ideas you agreed with or disagreed with doesn't really matter. Mm. Hopefully, you heard some ideas to sit with and digest.
2: And you maybe you have kind of understand how people like Brian come to the conclusions that they've come about some of these ideas.
0: And how the idea helps them. So, if you yeah. have any questions, Brian is probably the go-to guy about questions and he's yeah. got a lot of books and yeah. he can point you so in the right direction. hit him up direction. on Instagram. Brian, if people are looking to find out more about you, that is on, I think, is it your website. Yeah, well, you can go to you can go to BrianZahn.com. You just have to spell
1: my name right. Just Google Brian Zahn and it's all there. You'll also get the guys that say I'm an heretic, but whatever. It's <laughs> <That's> good fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. I always want to tell people that my real self is a little better than my Twitter self. <laughs> <laughs> High bar. The Twitter stuff is a little High snarkier bar. than I think the actual Brian's
2: on. under twenty <laughs>
0: characters. You got to be snarky. There's yeah, well, look, <laughs> let's, no let's face through. it. It is the
2: media for snarkiness. So, <laughs> so if
0: if you have any questions, like Brian zion has got an Instagram and he, and his website, and you can go that way. If you want to connect with us on Instagram, at Ideas Digest. You can send us an email, point us in the right direction. We will follow the rabbit holes that you point us down. So, Ideas Digest at gmail.com is our Mm. email address. Thanks for tuning into the show, Mm. and we will catch you in the next episode.
2: Oh, we should also thank the listeners, the devoted listeners, because I went on the other day, and more people are reviewing us. More reviews. So, thank you for that. That actually helps the algorithm when people start searching for things like this it gets higher in the algorithm yeah. so, so yeah, thank appreciate you it to thank our you.
0: devoted listeners thank
2: you <laughs> our friends of the show